Hello, everyone. Welcome to Freedom is the Cure, where we aim to show that whatever the societal ailment, freedom is always the cure. I'm Paul Dragu, the Communications Director for the John Birch Society. Thank you for tuning in. So in 1967, the CIA sent out classified document number 1035-960 to some of its agents and overseas stations. Despite the CIA being an agency that's supposed to work abroad, this document was a how-to manual on manipulating Americans into believing the Warren Commission report, the U.S. government's investigatory conclusion of President John F. Kennedy's assassination. The CIA justified its domestic mission with the excuse that American criticism of American government will spread to other countries. The problem was that Americans believe Lee Harvey Oswald's final words, I'm just a patsy. The document cited polls indicating that more than half of Americans weren't buying the Warren Commission's conclusion. And among the most popular conspiracies people suspected was the one implicating the CIA in the assassination. This propaganda instruction manual specifically advised agents to use their, quote, friendly elite, unquote, contacts in political and media circles to manipulate public opinion. It laid out very specific arguments that friendly political and media assets should make including that conspirators who know what they're doing would not use a loser like Oswald for such a high-profile job. It also cited books that were critical in the investigation, along with counterpoints to discredit the arguments in those books. Here's another. On October 30, 1993, the Washington Post newspaper published an op-ed by then-senior editor Richard Harwood titled Ruling Class Journalists in which he admitted that some of the most widely read newspapers and magazines in America were in the propaganda business. He said that journalists, quote, do not merely analyze and interpret foreign policy, they help make it, unquote. He cited a long list of influential American people who were members of the Deep State Implementation Vehicle, Council on Foreign Relations, people who held influential positions in the Wall Street Journal, in the Washington Post, Time Magazine, and the New York Times. And more recently, the Twitter files verified that the FBI and likely the CIA, among other three-letter government agencies, burrowed their way into Twitter to censor and control information. There's no doubt that elements of the federal government are very invested in manipulating public belief. When John Birch Society founder Robert Walsh founded the organization, his primary goal was to help people learn the truth about what was really going on. He said... Education is our total strategy and truth our only weapon. Welch knew that if Americans truly understood what was happening, the insider class had no chance of installing their one-world technocratic government. Today, we'll be discussing government propaganda, the consequences of it, and what we should and can do about it. But before we dive in, please remember to follow our social media and podcast channels and like and share this episode. Like with most truth-tellers, Big Tech restricts our message heavily because we do not fit their propaganda narrative. So I'm fortunate today to be joined by one of my favorite commentators from The New American, and it's Daniel Natal of The Daniel Natal Show. Daniel, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for having me, Paul. Good to be here. Yeah. Hey, listen, I, I wanted to ask you first and foremost, uh, Daniel, is everything a lie? <laughs> that's your i remember we went out to lunch paul and just for the viewers yeah that was the uh, theme of uh paul's uh discussion uh regarding talking to his son having to explain reality <laughs> to his son and just telling him how many like false narratives there were yeah um there was a, a great um interview between yuri bezmenov the former kgb guy and g edward griffin 
Uh, and G. Edward Griffin, um, he, he, who belonged to the John Birch Society, uh, he was talking to Bezmenov, and Bezmenov made an interesting comment. He said that the KGB spent about 85% of its budget on propaganda aimed at its own population. So while it was supposed to be a counterespionage agency, in fact, it was a ministry of propaganda. And he said that the CIA's budget was even bigger. You know, so we think of the CIA, oh, they're, they're fighting spies or they're overseas. No, like 85 to 90% of their budget was just propagandizing the public. Uh, like most notably, as an example, um, they would have many front companies. This came out during the Church Commission in the 1970s. One of those was called Capital Cities, and it was run by William Colby. He was the, the CEO of Capital Cities, and he would later go on to be the head of the CIA. And Capital Cities bought up, uh, as an example, Disney, which which owned ABC News and you know all these other kind of outlets. And so you would see CIA propaganda being disseminated through, um, you know, say, for instance, uh, as, as a prominent example, uh, when they did the TV show Lost, um, it was a big hit. And uh, one of the the things for it to get greenlit was, um, you know, they, they, they were told that they had to add a pro-torture theme because the CIA was going through the Abu Ghraib torture scandal. And so even though the viewers weren't aware of it, you know, they had written an entirely new character um, and put put him in there. He was an Iraqi torturer, and they had these these episodes where you know they got they extracted the truth through torture, and torture isn't really bad after all. And people watching this had no idea that this was you know CIA embedded propaganda in the TV shows that they were watching to kind of mold public opinion. So yeah, I mean, whoever controls the narratives essentially controls the culture, and whoever controls the culture controls the society. So. Have have you by any chance ran across or read that op-ed that Harry Truman wrote, I believe sometime in 63 or 64 for the Washington Post about the CIA, where he essentially says, you know, when I began, when I, when I, you know, whatever created the CIA, I don't know if it was the OSS at the time, but what he said, you know, its intention was to kind of to aggregate all this information so the president can make uh, a good decision. And, you know, he said it's gotten out of hand. The CIA is, uh, he used cloak and dagger, the words cloak and dagger in there. And he was just, uh, his his conclusion was that the CIA needs to go back to doing what it was intended to be. I, I think yours and mine and everyone else who's saying's argument would probably be more like uh, the CIA needs to be uh, disbanded. But it's interesting that you mentioned the whole loss thing. I mean, I had no idea. It's like um, going back to, I mean, why, what's the deal? What is it? I mean, would you say they, they, they would argue that they're protecting um, American interest or is it as, you know, what we believe in that is, is it is just purely perpetuating uh, this move toward uh, globalism? Yeah. Uh, well, just to hit your first part, you asked about Harry S. Truman. I think that was like a month or two after Kennedy was assassinated. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah, he regretted create, you know, signing off on the CIA and he called them an American Gestapo. And what's interesting about that, you mentioned the Washington Post. Um, the, uh, recently, Pepe Escobar, the Brazilian journalist, he said that the New York Times was essentially the mouthpiece of the State Department and that the Washington Post was the mouthpiece of the CIA. Huh. So for Harry Truman to like say that, you know, on, you know, on, on that particular platform was, it was extra, extremely uh, trenchant, um, you know, and I forget the second part of what you said <laughs> about the, <laughs> well, I, I guess it's, we, I listed three examples as an introduction there. And I mean, mm. you had the Washington Post's own editor in chief who's saying, it's like, look, we we're actually, we, pro we provide, uh, we produce propaganda and yet here we live in this well it doesn't matter what the second part of it is i guess my next question is it's like how do people not know that this is 
uh, this is still happening. I know that we have really low trust polls regarding the media, mm -hmm. but who is still watching? Like you watch, uh, for instance, I think lately we've been seeing that CNN, uh, their their viewer rates going down. They say it plummeted down to 450,000. And I'm reading that and I'm like, who in the world are these 450,000 people <laughs> watching CNN on a daily basis? Exactly. Just the airports and bowling alleys, and <laughs> that, that's kind of hospitals. Right. Yeah. Raising the numbers. I mean, almost nobody's like watching it, but you made an interesting point. You made a reference to the council on foreign relations and a hundred years ago, uh, a little, little more than a hundred years ago, the council on foreign relations kind of uh, did a study. Uh, what were the 25 most influential newspapers in the United States? And they systematically bought controlling interests in all of those newspapers. And then they basically could control you know, the narrative. What what news stories were propagated, what narratives were propagated, what themes were, were hit upon and in a very structured way. And so that started with newspapers. Then, of course, it went into radio when radio came, came of age and went into television. And so, I mean, since its very foundation, mass media has been used to manipulate the public. There's um, one of the, the godfathers of propaganda, Edward Bernays, he wrote a book called Crystallizing Public Opinion. And I think it was in 1926 or thereabouts. And he said that for the first time since Aristotle, we have a new form of government beyond the classical forms of government of like monarchy, aristocracy, republic. Um, and he said, this would be, you know, like technocracy rule by propaganda ruled by media manipulation, you know, and, and it's the first time it could happen because it's the first time we had mass media, you know, and so he was talking very, very explicitly. He said in that book as well that the, the ruling class was the safest now as it has ever been. You know, because the public is is being you know manipulated and divided, so they can't really unify to to ever go against you know the the aristocrats like they might in the Middle Ages. And uh, he said, so they're the safest they are now. And by the way, before I forget, just really quickly, and I know I'm rambling, but uh, there was a book called um, what was it? It was uh, Democracy, uh, Capitalism, and Socialism, or something. And it was by Joseph Schumpeter. I'm, I'm mangling the title, but Joseph Schumpeter was an Austrian economist. And he made a really interesting point. He said in there that um, mass college like had all these effects. And he he basically was echoing Gustave Le Bon from the 1890s in France. And both of them, both men said that mass college had really destabilizing sociological effects because it took people out of the productive economy, right? The, the people who make things, the, the trades and all that. And it, and it channels them into white collar jobs. But the problem is there's not enough white collar jobs. So there's mass unemployment, there's mass, mass underemployment. And, and Le Bon in particular said that it leads to the worst forms of socialism because because they become embittered because they 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 basically have no skills and they're you know they're poor and they're they they think they're too good for work and so Schumpeter makes that same point in the 1930s he says that you're going to get a bunch of disgruntled people and they can't really find a place because they've never learned to trade they don't know anything about business and he said so what tends to happen is they tend to go into um, jobs with very weak and watery benchmarks and he said one of those is journalism and he said so a lot of them basically become court reporters you know court stenographers for power like people in the Middle Ages. You know, like you would get like a, a benefactor, you know, wealthy benefactor in the Middle Ages, like Shakespeare, you know, and uh, he would have some rich guy and he would write poetry for the rich guy. And it's basically propaganda. And he said, that's the modern equivalent is all all of these these college kids who really don't have any useful skills. They become court propagandists, state propagandists. And so that was interesting from the 1930s. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because when I was trying to change my vocation, essentially, I wanted to get paid to write. But as you probably know, very few 
there's very very few ways to actually get paid to write. You know, nobody wants to pay writers. So I I took the uh, the easiest entryway, and that was into journalism. But I realized that they even entry level journalism jobs like required. They require they wanted like J degrees, like degrees, and I'm thinking it's like, well, that's kind of crazy. It's like I'm not gonna go to like two or three years, whatever of school, just to, uh, just to get the same entry level job. I eventually tricked someone into getting me the job, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, before the year was over, I had won a national award for investigative reporter. All to say, it's not that it's not that hard, but I mean, it's like, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff you can pick up. Now, I've, you you had mentioned that uh, you know, we have more people with white call uh, white. Uh, collar jobs and and because I guess we don't have you know there's less people with with uh, practical skills. Do you think there's a correlation between the fact that uh, I mean we know that you know people know how to do fewer things. Uh, I think the old joke is that you know men don't know how to change tires anymore, and I think there's uh, there's some truth to that. But do you think there's a correlation between the fact that we have less practical skills, you know, especially with our hands? And uh, a lack of critical thinking. I mean, you look around, you would thought by, that by now everyone had picked up on the fact that uh, mainstream news is, is, I mean, it's just strictly propaganda. Yeah, no, that's a really profound point. You know, I don't think I don't think I've ever read a study on that, but that would deserve, you know, like $400,000 grant. From some <laughs> that's a really I'll great take study. it. There was a there was a book though I'll mention this uh, there was a book called Microtrend Squared uh, by Mark Penn and Mark Penn is a man of the left and he ran Hillary Clinton's campaign when she first ran against Obama and uh, Mark Penn interestingly as a man of the left and as a Democrat he was he made m very many admissions assuming he's got like a sympathetic audience he just assumes other Democrats are reading and the things that he he makes admission to uh, you know uh, one one of them in in, in the book uh, he had a chapter called the influential elites. And he talks about that the more someone stays in college, the more propagandized they've become and the less critical thinking faculties they have. He said that they basically are trained to uh, obey authority rather than critical thinking. And he said that there's an irony that people who go, who go to trade schools have far better developed critical thinking faculties and people who tend to get advanced degrees that if the New York Times says it, it must be true. If if the the Southern Poverty Law Center, he, he mentions it must be true. And he actually, as a Democrat, he, he went against the uh, Russian collusion narrative with Trump. And he said in there three times, there was no proof for this. There was no evidence for this. But if you were a college graduate and you were watching Rachel Maddow, you're like, oh, this is an authority figure. It must be true, mm. you know, without any evidence, without any critical thinking. And this was from a Democrat, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, like there is a, a definite correlation between people who, you know, the longer they spend, like uh, Noam Chomsky, another man of the left, he said that, uh, university is not a selection mechanism for intelligence. It's a selection mechanism for obedience. And that's basically what we see. We see a lot of obedient people and they just, they're, they're so easy to manipulate and trick. And it's, it's sad, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned Noam Chomsky because, uh, Mark Crispin Miller out of NYU, he, he does, I think he teaches on propaganda. He's written books on propaganda. And he actually had a problem with the fact that of all people who should have, who should have noticed, uh, I think it was with COVID, uh, one of the elements of COVID tyranny, uh, he, he kind of called out Noam Chomsky. He's like, he's quick to, to notice the, when, when, especially if, if, seeming elements of the right are involved in some sort of conspiracies or or propaganda but he's not so quick to to pick up when uh, uh when the left is doing it and his point was seeming it was basically that you know if it was the left pushing all the COVID tyranny Noam Chomsky would have been all on it but since it wasn't uh you know he's disappointed that he he wasn't on it 
Um, well, yeah. one of the things uh, Noam Chomsky ma makes this point. Well, let me start here. Uh, there was a book uh, by Alec Ross called Industries of the Future, and he had a really interesting quote in there. And the quote was to the effect that tech, you know, um, you know, information technology in the end of the 20th century made all the fortunes. So he said, you know, large fortunes were made based on binary code at the end of the 20, 20th century. He said in the 21st century, large fortunes will be made in genetic code. And so that's why you see people like Bill Gates jumping from Microsoft into bio, biotech. And Noam Chomsky himself said something interesting. He said when he first started at MIT, like back in the 50s or 60s, um, he said MIT was surrounded by manufacturers, you know, by chip manufacturers and different like technological uh, manufacturers, components and stuff. He said MIT today is surrounded by nothing but biotech, bi biomedical science. Mm. And so the 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 money incentive, you know, that the money structure, the money flows are such that it would be very hard for Noam Chomsky to come against the 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 COVID narratives because that's the bread and butter of like his employer, you know, mm. that's the, you know, and it goes back to that Upton Sinclair quote, you know, never uh, ask a man to like, you know, go against, you know, you'll, you'll never convince him if he has to like go against his paycheck or something. And that's kind of, you know, Noam Chomsky. I'm paraphrasing that very badly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think COVID is also, COVID tyranny it provided an opportunity or at least prompted what I think is true. And that's a lot of people uh, awakening. And I, I think a large part of the reason for that was that simply that the reality was so blatantly contrary to what they were saying. And of course, we're still dealing with that. Uh, you know, just this morning I was going through, I think it was like, I don't know, like MSM news or something. And, and there were two stories in the rotator. One was about this 25 year old soccer athlete who collapsed while, you know, after, just after he missed a penalty uh, kick against him. And then the next story is about, uh, the athlete from the Bills, Hamill, who collapsed, and he did, you know, uh, in front of millions of people. Anyway, he, he apparently did an interview, and in, in the narrative of the story was something about how it was brought up, you know, conspiracy, vax conspiracy theories were, were brought up. And I thought just, like, how ironic uh, here they are. Here's one story, like, dude just drops dead son. They use the word son, and, you know, we know where this is going. And then they're like, oh, these people talking about how it's vax caused or conspiracy theories. It's like, at what point does the, 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 the script flip to where uh, to believe what mainstream media is conspiracy theory and reality becomes the mainstream? Yeah, I mean, it's a mistake to think of media as a separate institution. You know, so media is actually kind of tied in, you know, like a, like Lego built building blocks. You know, they kind of click into each other with uh, the military, with biomed, with the CIA. You know, I mean, and that's why Eisenhower. You know, he warned us about the military industrial complex. It's a complex of different, you know, kind of interests that interlock. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's but it's uh, not supposed to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They're supposed to be like a firewall between these to keep their integrity. There, there's a, an interesting book by, um, what's his name? Uh, Cass Sunstein. Cass Sunstein uh, was basically, he wrote an interesting book called uh, Nudge with Richard Toller, economist Richard Toller. And they talk about choice architecture. 
and you know how basically it used to be called uh, social engineering and how do you manipulate people through media narratives how do you manipulate them technologically how do you manipulate them with algorithms and he wrote a really interesting book a follow up to nudge called uh, and they call that nudging by the way nudging you in a particular direction mm, and uh, the yeah and the follow up was called how change happens and he's very very explicit in there like how to manipulate the society by the way Cass Sunstein was hired by you know like the Democratic Party and and you know, and later on Biden and stuff to deplatform conservatives. So that whole deplatform of the conservatives was overseen by Cass Sunstein. He describes in great detail like how it's done, what are, what are the methodologies. He talks in the book about how Trump normalized, he moved the Overton window uh, to normalize questioning globalization. And he said, you know, before Trump, I think like, you know, it was like 17% of the populace. And mm. then after Trump, it was like 67% of the populace. They panicked and they, they call that a norm entrepreneur. You know, somebody who makes, you know, questioning acceptable, makes a position acceptable. And so Trump was a norm entrepreneur for the questioning of the globalization. And at that point, they were like, he's got to go. You know, so I mean, it's it's very it's very frank. I mean, if you read that book, I would encourage anybody who's interested in the subject of propaganda to read How Change Happens by Cass Sunstein. Is there ever a good reason? Um, I don't know who it was or in the last couple of weeks, I think someone from, I don't know if it was the Pentagon or somewhere in the government somewhere said that, you know, propaganda has always, there has always been an element of propaganda to, uh, to, to government uh, workings for, in, in the name of security and ensuring uh, national uh, identity and security. Uh, what, what would you say to that? You know, yeah, like, you're talking. You're 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 referring to the GEC, right? Where that uh, that government body was created. It's like the God. What does it stand for? I can't remember. G. Look it up. GEC. And um, yeah, the gentleman who was running it, he said that he said that you know there's a, a master narrative, and this master narrative is what we call history, and you know, and and propaganda aimed at the populace is is a good thing. And but here's the thing: propaganda was actually banned. It was illegal. It was illegal to do propaganda against the American people. John F. Kennedy even warned about that. He said, like anything that was done in secrecy and darkness mm. was, you know, contrary to the principles of a republic. For a republic to be able to operate, you need true information to have that feedback mechanism. And so, so if everybody's operating from false premises, they can't make informed decisions. Kind of like with COVID, you can't make an informed decision because they didn't tell you about the actual contraindications and iatrogenic effects of the uh, the therapeutic that they were kind of pushing on people. Um, and that, by the way, as well, there, we, we just did some reporting on the New American side about something called ARPA-H. And ARPA-H was an ARPA program. Uh, you know, many of the viewers right now might be aware of DARPA, you know, the de mm. defense, what is it, Advanced Research Project Agency. And so ARPA is like a smaller kind of, you know, subsidiary of that. And, and a lot of different uh, organizations within the military have their own ARPA program. Like there's an ARPA program for geoengineering, an ARPA program for finance, an ARPA program for healthcare. And it was called ARPA-H. And Biden just mentioned that in the State of the Union and went over everybody's head. And so we're finding out now that COVID was run by the military. It was run by, you know, the de defense department. And so the, the, the actual healthcare people were third down in the chain of command. So everybody was like yelling at Pfizer or yelling at Moderna or this, they had no power. They took the money. They were happy to take the money and kind of be the front man, but they were actually third down in the chain of command. So it's, it's really interesting, like to discover like how it happened, why it happened, the weaponization of healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, the manipulation, and uh, how the media 
as used by that military industrial complex was used to promote these things and the algorithmic manipulations that Cass Sunstein oversaw. And, and they just made a reference to that as well in uh, the COP27 document, uh, Human Development Report 2021-2022 was the title of it. And that was for the uh, climate change conference that just happened a couple months back. And they said that COVID was very instrumental in teaching us the, the, the techniques for propagandizing the public, how to shut down debate, how to like close mm. down all discussion. So I mean, they're learning, but they're learning the wrong lessons. Like the, the <laughs> well, it's it's. I learned that apparently it's not very hard to, to sway and to influence and to basically coerce an entire industry, and by that I mean the medical institutions into doing all the wrong things. I mean, they shut down the hospitals to everything but one disease, which also happened to have every symptom. Every symptom that exists, like normal exactly. people would have, could be that. It was like that was just like crazy, you know. I I had something else going on, and I remember it being such a big deal, so hard to get seen. And obviously now we're seeing uh, the results of that. You know, people uh, the, the the neglect has caught up and whatnot. And so it's like, in a way, you kind of see why they think it's easy and they want to like hurt us like cattle. But it's like I want to have more hope. In people, you know, I want to be able to think that if you if people were presented with with uh, with good arguments, that they would be like, "Oh, I see." Like, yeah, that doesn't make sense. You're right, and I know we have a lot of that. My impression is, and I want to know if you agree or disagree, is that my impression is that if it weren't for the overt propaganda, if if it weren't surrounding you everywhere, you know, whether it be academia, whether it be media, more people would actually just. Uh, say what they really believe, which is contrary to almost everything you see in the media. They'd be like, "Yeah, girls can't be boys." Uh, duh, uh, you know. It's like, "Yeah, I, you know, I don't agree with that lifestyle," or, or you know, there's corruption there, or you know, I think uh, the vaccines are harmful. But I think there's a lot of people are not saying that still because they don't know they're allowed to. Yeah, well, you you mentioned uh, Mark Crispin Miller a little little back, and Mark Crispin Miller in his uh, foreword to Propaganda by Edward Bernays. He said that the enemy of the propagandist is the investigative journalist, you know, and so like programs like this are excellent for kind of counteracting propaganda. This is the antidote to look kind of like the mind mental malware that they upload into people. And uh, so, I mean, the best that we can do is, you know, you mentioned Robert Welch earlier, the best that we can do is education. Um, and uh, I think Madison, uh, James Madison had an argument with um, Thomas Jefferson about a republic and how hard republics are to run because it requires an educated populace, an intelligent populace, an engaged mm -hmm. populace. And he said, well, if they're not, you know, up to that level, we had, we've got to educate them up to that level. You know, that's the solution, not just making everybody slaves. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's very hard. It's an uphill battle, but it's worth it. It's a battle that's well worth it. And it's a battle that, you know, you, Paul, you know, you do every day and, and you know, and very, very impressed by, you know, some of the stuff that you put out. So, well, I mean, so, yeah, speaking of that, you guys, uh, by you guys, I mean us here at the JBS, we launched a new daily show to help with this, you know, because clearly 
uh, we're going on and we're saying we're here to produce truth, to combat and to neutralize uh, the lies and the propaganda. Of course, the JBS has been doing this since its inception in 1958 and actually quite before because Robert Welch, as you probably already know, he launched the American Opinion, the predecessor to the New American, and I, I believe 1957, somewhere before he actually launched the JBS, knowing full well that what we need is an educated populace. And because if he, he had such confidence confidence that if we had people who actually knew the truth, that would automatically start uh, paving or, or redirecting the path of the nation. And, and we still, uh, we believe that and we're seeing that. Uh, Steve, uh, Steve Bonta, the executive senior editor at the TNA, he wrote an interesting piece about three weeks or four weeks ago uh, during the uh, the battle, remember the struggle for the speakership. And his only point was that this is happening because we have 20 very constitutionally oriented legislators. Uh, and he said that's more than we've had in a long, long time. And he attributes that to the education efforts of the uh, of the New American of the JBS. But going back now, uh, we have the New American TV. Right, the New American TV with Rebecca Terrell. We just launched that. That you're mm -hmm. kind of you. You play a major role in that, but all our folks do. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, it's just a, a new daily show that we're starting, just as you said, Paul. And uh, you know, we just go over the news of the day and kind of try to show you know the the deeper systems. There was a a woman. Uh, she's a, a bad guy, bad girl, uh, called Danella Meadows, and she she unfortunately was part of the Club of Rome. But she wrote a really interesting book on systems theory called Thinking in Systems, Cybernetics. And in there, she talks about systems, like systems are thing algorithms that repeat, right? Like our constitution is a system. It's an algorithm, right? So every every four years, a president is elected, every six years, a senator, every two years, a congressman, et cetera, and it repeats. Or you have uh, systems in the, the sociological sphere, like Christmas, every 25, December 25th, Christmas comes around, or every July 4th, Independence Day. So these are algorithms that you set in various institutions. And so she said, if you understand the systems, then you you can see the the repetitions you can see and she said if it doesn't repeat it's not a system right so people are always like oh history repeats itself or history rhymes no systems repeat themselves and and because they repeat themselves once you understand the system you can anticipate what's going to happen and so you know people aren't aren't psychic you know but if you understand you know red blue red blue red blue red blue you know you can guess okay blue if i know that pattern blue is likely to be the next in that series and so she said the evening news is almost worthless because she said that these are data points, random data points out of context. And she said, and they do not show the underlying system, you know? And so we at the, uh, the, the new American uh, TV with Rebecca Terra, we're trying to, you know, kind of show, you know, like the, the daily news cycle, but then to go a little bit deeper and show the underlying systems so that you understand why this happened, not just that it happened, but why did it happen, you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll do better at that. And we have, uh, you know, various segments as well, you know, re related to uh, some of our other uh, great reporting and stuff, uh, some really fantastic journalism and panels on, uh, you know, issues that, you know, issues of the day. So, you know, hopefully uh, you guys will tune in and we will help combat the propaganda by being yeah. uh, the, the enemies of the propagandists, which means we're going to be blacklisted and hated. <laughs> so. We'll put, we'll, we'll get a plaque for that. Uh, you know, I've, I, I always, I, I, I don't want to say look forward to, but I like to make the most of uh, media smears. And I even, I mean, I put together an entire pamphlet 
uh, crediting a lot of our success and and uh, reinforcing that with how much the ma- major media hates us uh, for it. But you you had mentioned earlier the investigative journalists, and one of your top stories was actually uh, one of the top stories that we reported. Uh, was based on one by by someone who's, who's one of the most credible investigative journalists, that being uh, Seymour Hirsch, and that being the Nord Stream uh, pipeline. And I think that's that's a that's a really great example of how here you have something that happened that is so huge, and yet mainstream media is almost completely mum about it. I think that's a perfect example of the difference between. Real news, real alternative media, and propaganda mainstream media. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, they were trying to hide the public and distract them with balloon stories and (laughs) UFOs. They had, uh, I think uh, we were talking about today, uh, John Kennedy, who's a senator from Louisiana, I think, and he, he, he... told people, oh, well, I was just in the secret session and people better lock their doors because of aliens. And, you know, and so they were just ramping this up and it was a distraction method to get people to not talk about the Nord Stream pipeline and that revelation that the United States had, in fact, committed an act of war or amounts to an act of war against Russia by blowing up another nation's pipeline. Um, kind of, And there was another uh situation as well um where there was a revelation some months back with uh the minsk two agreements that were supposed to you know kind of create like a detente between russia and the ukraine and then angela merkel of germany admitted that it was just a stalling tactic we never meant to have peace it was just a stalling tactic you know so that we could get like munitions and tanks and anti-aircraft artillery into the ukraine and so russia when russia found out about this i mean they, they they were like uh you guys are bad faith actors you know, we can't trust you. And so with with the Nord Stream 2 revelations, that's ramped up even more. And so we're like in the, you know, I mean, global tensions are are the highest that they've been. Henry Kissinger said that. He said that we're the closest to World War III that he's ever seen. And he's going to be 100 years old in a couple months. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the the media is is basically there to deflect and and keep us ignorant and keep us talking about balloons or celebrities or you know just you know perversions you know anything that's a circus sideshow freak something that a hundred years ago would have been oh look it's the tattooed lady or it's the bearded lady or the dog-faced boy that's what they concentrate on and they want you concentrating on these anomalous particulars because they don't want you to concentrate on the general and on the system they don't want you to notice what's actually happening in the larger you know the the, the larger institutional geopolitical structures and um i mean they're very very good at, at keeping most of the populace you know remarkably ignorant um, so yeah, I mean, the only thing that we can do is, uh, is, is what we're doing now. And, uh, yeah. yeah, and, and we are seeing, we are seeing dividends. So that's, that's good as well. You know, now, what, what do you, uh, what, what do you mean? Elaborate on that. How do you, how, what's your, what are you seeing that makes you say that? Well, I, I just mean in the sense you, you mentioned, uh, places where people get propagandized and one of those is the university. One of those is mass media. Um, one of those is, you know, kindergarten to grade 12 school. And uh, there's a, a Freedom Project Academy, which is mm-hmm. associated, affiliated with the John Birch Society. Um, you know, homeschooling is exploding. Yeah, the solution to a lot of this is homeschooling. You're taking your kid out of the propaganda matrix, not giving them mental malware, 
not you know sitting them in a class that teaches them they're in the wrong body or that their their country is inherently sinful you know and they need to destroy everything and destroy themselves you know because it's designed to to destroy you it's not designed to help you uh like your parents would be you know and uh and so i mean to to basically have these kids um i mean homeschooling is exploding in popularity right now and and that is going to show the dividends in the next generation you know a lot more people a lot a lot more kids are are getting educated as to their 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 form of government their history their true history not you know oh america started in 1965 with the civil rights movement and america's racist and bad you know and that's the end you know yeah. it's like good god well yeah i mean they and they've been freaking out about that too there's been a massive increase i'm not sure i think we're up to 10 to 12 is it 10 to 12 percent now somewhere around there as far as um students k-12 students who've been pulled out of of government schools and that's a that's that's obviously something near and dear to our heart here like you had mentioned freedom project academy that's our affiliate school and so we really encourage people to do that i want to read this one last thing to you and then we'll, we'll wrap it up but i, I think this kind of uh, t i was going to get your take on it so in uh, the latest Chronicles issue, Michael Rechtenwald wrote this. He says, It is a minor miracle that Republicans have won some recent elections and have proven that they can still win elections in the U.S. Soviet States of America uh, because almost every major legacy media outlet, every major social media platform, and Google, the company with near absolute control over information, is a leftist authoritarian organ of the state run by the Democratic Party. So I... I do you think that's more a testament to the fact that the Democratic Party, the left, the left is so it, their ideas are so terrible and so asinine, or uh, and that Republicanist Republicanist ideas are so naturally appealing? Because based on that, what I'm saying, what I'm seeing is like if we just remove some of these uh, propaganda outlets, or at least we weaken, we blunten them. We can have a return to sanity within the next generation. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, exactly. And that's why they're terrified. I mean, imagine if all the, like they, they, they said during uh, some of the recent elections in Arizona, as an example, and they said that Republican turnout was four times what Democrat turnout was, you know, and then, you know, so imagine if they didn't have mail-in ballots with signatures that didn't match the real right, right you know i mean it would be land the whole country would be red if we had kind of you know if they didn't cheat integrity we'd have to say yeah. that too that, I yeah think so you see this disconnect between the populace and the media and they're they're not aligning and the media is supposed to be there to advocate for the populace it's supposed to be like an intelligence agency for the populace you know so before the cia existed we had what was called you know the fourth estate you know which was the the, the media and they were supposed to hold you know the the, the powerful to account speak truth to power mm -hmm. they were supposed to tell the little guy what was happening and kind of because of that sociological phenomenon that, that we talked about at the very opening, where uh, we have a surplus of college graduates, instead of advocating and identifying with the little guy, they they were trained in college to identify with the ruling class and to become kind of a spokesperson for the ruling class. And they they see it as sophisticated and elite. Hey, I went to college, you know, and it kind of trains them to suck up to the to the powerful and you know who give the grants for the journalism schools and stuff like that um yeah. and uh, so yeah so the power dynamic has really changed uh because the the quality of the journalist has really changed i have a, a friend who's 19 and he's going to a journalist class and he sends me some of the stuff that he has to sit through and he's just like for instance uh one of the lesson plans was okay if you're going to report on father's day 
why don't you report uh, two gay fathers with an adopted black child? <laughs> that was what literally what the lesson plan said. And, and, and the teacher also told him, you need to make white people feel uncomfortable. That's your job. And, and, and so this this bumper crop of kids are being just raised to like do social justice kind of propaganda, you know. No and, matter and the major, huh? Yeah, exactly. But especially journalism. I mean, they're they're just, you know, kind of deployed now to to never ever speak truth to power. Ever, ever, ever. And it's just basically attacking, you know, the working class who they're now trained to see as knuckle dragging cavemen, you know, who they're now trained to despise. And that that's very new. I mean, all of our classical uh, journalistic icons like H.L. Mencken, he didn't go to college. He's our greatest like journalist ever in the history of the country. Mark Twain, you know, like all these people. And they they were they were men of the people. You know, but once they go to the college, they, they there's a selection mechanism, not for intelligence, but for obedience, and they become very obedient to the people, you know, who are uh, funding grants and yeah. subsidies. So. And yet, with still with with all that still, you know, well, I guess we'll finish up on this. It's we still not that we 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 it's beyond just having hope. If we get enough people, we can reach a tipping point where we get enough people to turn away. And realize what propaganda is, and turn toward truth. We can we can write this ship, uh, and I think it's already begun. To tell you quite frankly, we we see the numbers, we see the polls on the media trust, and they're I don't know if they're, they're record low, but they're extremely low. And then we of course we're seeing uh, people uh, go to toward alternative media. Alternative media is is growing, and obviously we see that with us, but we see that with so many others in the alternative media landscape. So all that to say is that. Uh, we just need more people. You know, we need more folks to realize what the truth is, and we need folks to share, to share new stories and, and new sources that they can depend on. Would you want to add anything to that? And we'll wrap it up with that. No, I mean you're absolutely right. Um, you know, they're, they're, the CIA did a study, and they they noticed as they were deposing countries around the world, and they did kind of did a scientific study of it, and they said that it requires 3.5 percent of the population to be kind of conscious, mm. to be able to flip a society. And that number was true in the American Revolution, 3.5%. And there was a gentleman da named David Goldberg, and he said, behind the scenes, they're panicking because of uh, social media and, and the ability for normal people to communicate with each other through YouTube and all these other platforms, that, uh, that it's now up to 17%. And they're panicking and they're like locking down the society because they're people mm. are waking up. We we are winning. Like for instance, like the John Birch Society. You know, before the John Birch Society, the average person wasn't aware of globalism. The average person wasn't, I mean, these are these are mainstream ideas now, or or the Federal Reserve not being federal or a reserve, you know. Um, and the, these these like there was an article, I think you Paul uh, kind of you know, did it in a compendium about uh some mainstream media legacy thing saying, you know, that the 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 the, the the John Birch Society concept is now mainstream. Is now the mainstream. So, so we're winning, and they're yeah. panicking. They well, they've done a several articles on that, and then last year and the year before, I think one was called uh, uh, "We All Live in the John Birch Society's World Now" is written by the New That's Republic. It. Yeah, and then there is uh, one uh, called "The Birchers Never Left." I think it's by the same outlet. And then Salon did a few. Uh, one uh, title, something to degree, like uh, it was I don't know, it was lumping uh, Alex Jones and all these folks, and they're like, "Here, you can think uh, the John Birch Society for all of this. What's happening?" Uh, and we we do we're proud of that. Not that we're not. 
we're proud in the sense that what when you read between the lines, like you said, what that means is people are awakening. And I like what you said. We are winning. That's that makes sense. That's why they they want to censor what you can say on, on the internet or this stuff would just go bonkers. You know, it'll it'll, it'll, it'll go crazy. Yeah, uh, any and- any website that doesn't have censorship immediately becomes John Burr's <laughs> like <laughs> material immediately. Yeah, yeah, and and I don't want us to take all the credit as well. Obviously, we we met the, you know there are others, but I think one of the biggest helpers for us has been unfortunately it has been reality. It has been reality. It has gotten to the point where people are just like, what in the world is going on? It just doesn't match. And so we're glad that people are realizing the truth. Obviously, we would have hoped that would have happened sooner, so we didn't get to this point. But the good the good news is me and you are, are sitting here and we're talking, and soon we're going to broadcast this to other people. And then you're going to be doing a, a video, and you're going to do your show, and that's going to get broadcast to thousands and you know possibly uh, tens and hundreds of thousands at some point. And what that says is that there is people are waking up and they have a hunger for for the truth and not the propaganda. So, Daniel, thank you so much for for joining me, man. And thank you for for sitting down to discuss this. Thanks, Paul. You're the best. So, folks, there is no national restoration without an information revolution, which I believe, and as we've discussed, has already begun. Media trust is very low these days, and for good reason, just like we've shown. On the other hand, alternative media have been gaining lots of grounds over the years. So now's the time to introduce people to pro-American, truthful news and information sources. It's the least patriots can do, and it's necessary to restore our nation. So be part of that. We encourage members and supporters to share with friends and family members true news sources, including the New American Magazine and the New American's new daily show, The New American TV with Rebecca Terrell, which you can find at thenewamerican.com. So The New American has been ahead on the issues for nearly 40 years, reporting the truth behind the news. And once you're ready to move beyond knowing the truth to acting on it, we encourage you to apply for JBS membership and get plugged into effective activism. Our members are working across the nation, working to create understanding and to stop globalist schemes. So in the meantime, thank you for tuning in. And always remember that whatever the societal ailment is, freedom is always the cure.